Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast, hosted by three friends who were brought together by their heroin-addicted partners. We became each other's biggest support through some of life's toughest times. We're not licensed professionals, and nothing in this conversation is professional advice. But we hope our stories offer a glimpse into how these issues weave into our everyday lives. You're not alone. We can all get through it together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast. We are excited today. We are with my dentist, Dr. (laughs) Michael Whitman. (laughs) I um, thought uh, Dr. Whitman and I met maybe a couple months ago when he broke the awesome news that my tooth was hollow and I needed to be toothless. So, um, and spend a shit ton of money, but that's not your fault, Dr. Whitman. So, so that is how I met. And, um, I think we kind of just had a vibe. And so, um, right before he gave me the good nitrous, I said, Hey, would you want to be on my podcast? And so we had a nice conversation. He agreed. And now here we are. So welcome Dr. Whitman. Thank you guys. Thank yeah, you so thanks much for, for having me. Well, Thanks. Despite the fact that we had to meet under unfortunate circumstances, uh, <laughs> that led to this. <laughs> could yes. you um, could you just give us a quick background of like what your professional background is, and then if you have any personal experience with addiction as well? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, I uh, I've been in dentistry for about five years now. Um, I've been with my current practice, uh, Village Dental, for for just over three. Um, I did my dental school down in Lexington, Kentucky, actually, down at UK. Um, So go Cats. Sorry if that offends anyone. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, and and, um, now practice in the Indianapolis area. So um, that's kind of just a a little background about myself. Um, I've got a, a... little one and another one on the way. So life's going to get crazy for me here uh, in the next month or two. Um, But we're really excited for that. So um, as far as, you know, dealing with um, uh, addiction uh, in my own life, personally, um, it's not something that I struggle with, thankfully, but um, uh, with with family members, it's definitely something that, you know, I've encountered in my life, both on, on my family and uh, my wife's side as well. So it's something that, you know, means a great deal to me, um, which is why I was more than happy to, to jump on here with you guys. Cool. I think um, for me, at least the interest in bringing on a dentist to to speak with, um, I think we have all heard some stories throughout our different support groups where, you know, what happens when your loved one who maybe is in recovery goes to dentist, uh, goes to a dentist appointment and like Lisa was saying, you know, gets the, the nitrous or is prescribed like pain pills afterwards. And just, there have been some situations where it seems like maybe some dentists don't like get the like addiction piece where it's like, take these pills as prescribed and you'll be fine. And we've really had to encourage people to like advocate for yourself. Um, So we thought it'd be interesting to, to hear a little bit from you about, I guess, just the, the education of um, addiction in the, the field of dentistry. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure we'll, you know, dissect it over the next 40 minutes here, but um, I think you guys are, are spot on. I mean, in our profession, it's, uh, there's so many blessings and so many curses to the field of dentistry. And unfortunately, it, it can lead to either, you know, the start of some sort of addiction or, or a relapse um, for someone who's in recovery. And if you don't, as the dentist, you know, if you don't have the background, fundamental knowledge, or maybe the care, you can un- unknowingly really, you know, do a lot of damage, even, even though you're just trying to do your job and trying to help. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I know. Oh. Go ahead. Yeah, and I, I know before I went and uh, got my tooth pulled with you a couple of weeks ago, um, my husband was like, oh, you get nitrous. I was like, that is, and I know uh, we are going to touch about this, but like, I mean, that was like one of his favorite things to do at concerts. And I was telling you that he would just get balloons and just yeah. <laughs> balloon and balloon. And you were like, that is so dangerous. And I was like, oh no, he, that's like his favorite 
thing to do at concert is just nitrous balloons. <laughs> I've never even heard of that. I mean, yeah. while that uh, may be a ton of fun, yeah, I mean, that is that is dangerous. <laughs> That's yeah. dangerous, and, you know, nitrous is such an awesome tool, as you found out. Uh, <laughs> it's such an awesome tool that we have our disposal to, you know, combat anxiety, and it allows me to do a ton of really good dentistry, but you got to understand it and you got to understand the patient and their medical background and any, any addiction background too, because even though nitrous is something that you really can turn on and turn off, you know, and the patient leaves totally fine, it can sort of stimulate that need for, you know, an altered sense of, of feeling or perception. So can you explain, so I guess it comes up a lot in our group and I might be jumping off topic here a little bit, but um, we all always worry, like um, Liz mentioned, when our loved one seeks medical care for whatever reason. So just routine dental care, maybe, you know, a, a, a procedure like for that or an emergency. So my husband broke his foot and actually he had surgery and actually needed some sort of pain management <clears throat> but this always comes up like um as we're kind of navigating this life with in the with in recovery and so my question is how many dental procedures require pain meds like strong pain meds if any because i think that would be super helpful to know and what alternatives do you have at your disposal for people who do have a history of addiction or just really want to avoid anything that could be you know dangerous at all yeah no it's a great question i mean that's i think that's the fundamental thing that you know i hope listeners will take from this so i mean i'll, I'll just kind of dive into it. So, you know, I, I really do seldom prescribe narcotics. Um, that's just my personal feeling. It's the education that I've had. And then it also speaks to, you know, the location that I'm in and the procedures that I do, right? I don't have many true needs to prescribe narcotics or opioids. Um, I would say uh, the procedures that absolutely warrant, you know, narcotics um, are more than two or three tooth extractions at a time. Um, certainly, if you're doing, you know, a full mouth extraction, absolutely, you're going to need some, some pain meds to get you through that first 24, 48 hours. Um, big time infection, right? So if, if you do a root canal and, and you know, you know, the patient's blood pressure is elevated and they're sweating and it, I mean, you can, you can see pain. And after a root canal, um, the combination of antibiotics and pain meds is absolutely justified. Um, do that all the time. Aside from that, uh, shockingly, there's very little in dentistry that truly requires a narcotic. Um, you know, a lot of times what patients don't understand is their, their pain is coming from just inflammation, whether it's just jaw inflammation or muscle inflammation maybe gum inflammation and it hurts. It hurts, you know, nonetheless, and sometimes it can hurt real bad, but um, anti-inflammatories are the answer for that. And, you know, people come in and like, I need, you know, I need something stronger than ibuprofen. And the truth of the matter is you don't, you don't, you know, while you might need a pretty decent amount of ibuprofen to get that inflammation down, once that goes away, the pain will subside. Mm -hmm. um, so in my everyday practice, uh, you know, I, I don't prescribe a whole lot of narcotics. Um, that can't be said for, you know, people in uh, oral surgery or, you know, endodontics, the practice of root canals, or, you know, um, in, in, in more rural areas, right, where oral health is not either accessible or well understood. And, you know, people wait until they need four or five teeth pulled, you know, those practitioners in much more rural areas are, are forced to prescribe more. Um, while that's necessary, you know, especially in the more rural areas, a lot of times though, that can, that can really be a catch 22 and do damage as well. Yeah. Speaking of oral health, like, I guess, before we get too far down the road, could you have a sense of like, I guess the importance of dental health for overall health in general and, you know, the effects that alcohol abuse and drug abuse can have 
um, on your dental health and maybe like issues that that can lead to. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think it's really misunderstood how much of an impact the oral cavity can have on the systemic body, right? If you've got infection or disease in the mouth, that's going, that's going internal, right? And, and gum inflammation, that's going into the blood. So, you know, there's, there's three things that I talk about on the daily basis that show how the oral habit, oral cavity can infect, you know, the whole body and it's, it's infection, it's functional and it's aesthetic. Meaning, you know, if the mouth has disease and infection, if function is an issue to where you, you can't chew your food or it hurts to chew your food and aesthetics, if you're not comfortable enough to even smile or show your teeth, that has a profound impact on how, how you're going to live your life. So, uh, cannot be understated enough how much, you know, the oral cavity in my world has an impact on the body as a whole. Um, and then in regards to alcohol and drug addiction and how it impacts your oral cavity, um, I would say by far it's the drugs that are going to have more of a detrimental impact on your teeth than, than the alcohol will. Um, one of the things that uh, is misunderstood is people, you know, think when they take, when they take drugs, whether it be, you know, whatever form they're doing it, uh, they think, oh, oh, it's the smoke, you know, or the, or the, you know, drug itself, right? The acidity of the drug that wrecks my teeth. And what it is actually is it, it causes profound dry mouth. Um, drugs in itself cause vasoconstriction, which is where the, the blood vessels, you know, constricting get real small and continued drug use will actually cause those blood vessels to die off. Um, if you lose that blood supply, that's when you're then going to see teeth cracking, you know, gum recession, teeth blackening, that, those characteristic, you know, signs that, that you might see. Um, whereas alcohol doesn't really do that as much, right? Um, so definitely th those, those are how that impacts the, the oral health. That's, that's very interesting. And I know when my husband was in heavy use, um, he didn't go see a dentist for like five, six years. So then sure. when he got clean and he went back, um, he had some serious stuff going on. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then, you know, it's, it. it's to compound off that it's just a slippery slope, right? When, when you're, when you're that dehydrated and your mouth is so dry, it's oftentimes you're reaching for the soda and people crave that sugar and that carbonation. And if you throw that, that soda on top of a dry mouth, that's when you're going to see things just really deteriorate. Well, let's face it. When you are using, you're not really taking the best care of your <laughs> anyway, no. and that's not top of mind. And you know, you, you don't have money to go see a dentist or any other sort of doctor. And it just kind of snowballs, snowballs. Into and then um, I think sometimes like you, you mentioned there's a misunderstanding, I think, of the importance of the oral cavity. And so even when people do get in recovery, maybe the first places they go are some other doctors and it's like oh, sure. off dental, like, oh, I can wait for that down the road. Or um, I think the situation where my boyfriend, uh, Jake, I remember, I think also a little bit plays into nerves of fine being like, oh, I don't even want to know. Yes what has happened. So if I just ignore it, yep. it will just go away. Um, or the fear of, I know my dentist is going to know that I'm using. Sure. Yeah. Do you, can you know, can, yeah, you, tell? can you tell, do you have a sense? Um, yeah. Yeah. Usually, Interesting. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, I'm sure we've all heard of the term meth mouth, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a common, I think it's even in the dictionary now. Right. But everyone knows that classic meth mouth looks like mm -hmm. not all drugs per se cause that but um unbelievably enough there is now a clinical term it's called mountain dew mouth um oh wow that is a clinical term that that i was taught and i've seen and mountain dew specifically uh when that's all you drink and all you drink and all you drink and you don't really take care of the oral hygiene actually can end up the exact same way as meth mouth Oh my gosh. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I don't drink Mountain Dew. Please don't no, drink it's it. disgusting. Go diet, I guess. It feels like you're drinking <laughs> that sugar. That's, it just feels like syrup. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> oh wow. That's interesting. Okay. Well, very cool. So I think one thing that kind of um, attracted me to ask you to be on the podcast was that you are um, so young. And so while maybe a doctor who might have been older, like I think probably the education portion around addiction probably is different than what you got. So I think I was very interested to see like what classes you took or what, how addiction was addressed since you just got out of dentistry school, like five years ago. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, uh, thanks for, you know, looking past how young I am. I get a lot of flack for that, right? <laughs> is this the first time you've ever done this? I'm like, no, God, no, it's my second. <laughs> but uh you know i i think you're absolutely right so um the opioid epidemic i think in the last five to ten years has really you know become public public knowledge and dental schools are um incorporating that more into their curriculum now about how we plan to that and ultimately combat that i think even furthermore the fact that i went to university of kentucky um in Lexington, the epidemic, the opioid ep epidemic in Kentucky in particular is uh, an absolute tragedy. I mean, it is, it is running rampant there. And um, particularly, you know, Eastern Kentucky, um, which is a whole, you know, pandemic in itself, it feels like. But so I think the University of Kentucky specifically even further emphasized that with us. Um, we had one or two courses in our third and fourth year, you know, as we were really getting into clinics about the effect on opioids on the oral healthcare system, things that we just kind of talked about. Um, in our pharmacology class that every dental school has, there was an entire specific section in our pharmacology class that dealt with substance abuse and, you know, the drugs that people take, the drugs that, drugs that are used to combat that, drugs that you should look out for that people, you know, mentioned on their med history, things like that. Um, and then once I was out of dental school, uh, with, with our continuing education, our CE, uh, us as dentists, we're, we're required to have so many CE uh, hours a year. And it's mandatory that every single year you have uh, one to two CE credits in opioid abuse. Um, so that's, a, that's an, you know, a kudos to the, the ADA and whatever bureaus make me get my CE, I guess, to require that I'm touching opioid abuse at least once or twice a year and, and staying up with the latest trends and latest rules and regulations. That's awesome. I did yeah. not realize that you were required to do that. We are. And, and to the younger generation, like you said, it's, it's, it's obvious. It's secondhand nature. But, you know, to the older generation that, you know, gave out Norco like candy after every filling, it's, it's trying to make those, that, that population of dentists see like, okay, you know, I, I really need to change the way I'm doing things here. I'm doing more harm maybe than I am good. Yeah. And then I think when you and I were talking about this, like, um, like what are your experiences or you kind of shared some of your early experiences of a clinic you were at and people like shopping for pills and you didn't necessarily catch on right at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. You know, ignorance is bliss. You don't know what you don't know, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, without, you know, dropping any names or clinics or anything like that, when I first started, I, I worked in an area and at a clinic where it was in a rural area and it was in kind of an impoverished area or low socioeconomic status. And it was a denture factory. I was, I was pulling teeth left and right. Um, and or it was, it was people that, you know, hadn't been to the dentist in 10, 15, 20 years and, you know, every stigma that comes with that was there. And, you know, they're maybe pulling one or two teeth. And yeah, early on in my career, it was, you know, hey, I'm gonna need pain meds for this. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. You know, uh, yeah, it, things look bad in there. I, I imagine you do, right? Or, you know, the patients that come back a day or two or a week or a month after an extraction saying, hey, doc, this still hurts, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep making appointments until you give me something to get this pain out of the way. And, you know, it's like, okay, you know, uh, you believe it, right? You believe it. And it's slow. You slowly start to learn. You slowly start to do enough and see enough. And you learn when someone is kind of, you know, fishing for drugs or, um, the behaviors that they demonstrate, or even the way the mouth like is healing, you know, you know, when something's healing well, 
and when something's healing not well. Um, so yeah, I, I, early on, I was thrust into that environment and man, I saw, I saw the whole gamut of it from, you know, um, people coming in and immediately saying, before you, before you get started, um, you know, uh, I'm allergic to Tylenol, ibuprofen, Advil, Aleve, and a uh, tramadol too. I, I can't take any of that. So if you're going to give me some, I need something stronger than that. You know, <laughs> it's, it, they're well-versed, they're well-versed and they know what they're talking about. Um, that's a red flag. You know, I'd have people come in saying, yeah, I think the only thing that, you know, that works for me is, uh, Vic, Vicodin. Is it, am I saying that right? Oh, Vicodin. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, the playing dumb, uh, that I got that. I got that. Um, so yeah, definitely saw that. Well, like when you would give a prescription, like it's not, I mean, I think most dental procedures, it's not like you're giving months no. of like a quantity. Um, so when I was talking to Jake about this, he's like, this office is the last place I would go because you would go back so often. Like it just, yeah. In a sense, that's good. You're right. In a sense, even though dentists, you know, I think the availability to get narcotics is maybe easier than it is a general physician or a cardiologist or something, you know, we do procedures that warrant that and we do them often. So, um, but you're right. When I, when I do a, a full mouth extraction, when I do a really nasty root canal, I'm giving eight to 10 tabs and, and it's, it's one tab every you know, six hours. So it, it really is meant to get you through two, three days. And if they call back afterwards saying, Hey, like I ran out, I kind of still have pain. I'm, I'm saying that that's okay. Uh, time and anti-inflammatories are, are what we're doing from now on out. Yeah. So you're right. I don't give back to back to back, uh, narcotics and we don't give a lot of them. Do you have any advice for family members who may be supporting their loved ones seeking just routine care that might encounter a procedure that would have pain as a result on um, like, how can we reach out to you as the provider? And um, yeah, what is your advice for someone in that position? Like what, what could we tell you or do to help make sure that they get appropriate pain management? Absolutely. So, you know, uh, like I've been saying over and over, I, I now work in an area where I don't do a ton of these procedures. You know, it it's in a quote unquote higher socioeconomic status, if you will. So I don't see that nearly as much as I did in my previous line of work. But um, the people who either were an addict or may, might still be struggling actually are pretty transparent about it. Um, and they'll say, hey, by the way, I know we're going down this road. Don't give me anything. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in recovery, um, which is awesome. Or uh, they will come in with spouse, parent, uh, daughter, son, and, and they'll say, Hey, you know, I'm here with them. Um, they have a history of abuse. And what I will do is uh, if, if truly, you know, they weren't having some, some narcotics, I will give the narcotics to the caregiver or whomever they live with. And I will say, I'll put them on a drug schedule and I'll say, okay, these stay in your possession at all time. And you give them the drugs every four to six hours when they need them, that you are in sole possession of these. And when we're done and, or when they get out of pain, and if you have some left, you are throwing these, you know, in the toilet, you're flushing them. So um, that's a great question. And we do that. We do that from time to time. So refreshing to hear that. That's not been my experience. And um, I'm so I'm glad that there are providers that are doing that and understand addiction. But I had to really just my, when my husband um, broke his ankle, he it did have surgery. It was serious, yeah. but he didn't need like 10 days of pain meds. And I had to talk them down, like beg them to not give us that prescription. We ended up leaving with two days and he took it for one day, um, which was great. But that was, it was just like in a time when it can be very stressful, depending on the circumstances of seeking care, it's really hard to advocate with a professional, like a medical professional, especially, um, 
when you're kind of under stress and, and sure, figuring sure. this out yourself. So and I'm glad not, to hear that. And you're wanting your loved one not to be in pain, you know, like yeah. it's a fine line, like knowing, okay, do they actually need these pain managing drugs in order to not be dying? Right. Uh, but you know, not get a relapse or not get addicted. Mm -hmm. It is, it's tough. It's tough. I, I would say, you know, like I said, for the vast, vast majority of things, it's that first 24 to 48 hours, maybe 72 that, you know, really require pain meds. The way that your body deals with infection and pain and inflammation after 72 hours, like you're on the decline, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And I would say that, um, like what Alex said was that it's refreshing, but like, what about, what about those situations? Cause like, you did kind of paint a rosy picture of like how you do it and stuff like that. But I've had experiences, I'm sure like many other people have had experiences where they're advocating like when my um, husband like was in active use, like I was calling these places saying like, don't do this, that it, like that kind of stuff. And so um, I guess how, how, how should we as the loved ones like advocate that i don't know it's, it's like what you said was so rosy and i just know that that is just not the case yeah. everywhere well i think you have to be i think what you have to be in a certain level of recovery to have to to be a person that is going to the dentist with um, a supportive person to ensure to hold you accountable essentially that's yeah. down the road which is great but there are a lot of steps before that. And I think that's what you're asking, Elise, is like, how do you, how can we better navigate when maybe our loved one isn't willing to tell you, I, I struggle with abuse and they're, they are trying to shop and we're trying to prevent them from relapsing in things or, yeah. yeah, yeah so or I guess I see that as that's probably before they're even in any type of recovery yeah. of like relapsing, they're probably in the midst of it and maybe like hiding things and true yeah I do agree I think depending on the stage they are in recovery they're probably open to having you know like us go to their appointment with them or are being open with the dentist I think it's in those times where they're not quite in recovery mindset where that starts challenging on the loved one side too. so you know that's that's when it definitely becomes tough and especially if they have a need that you're like yeah I know you need that tooth pulled. yeah I know you need that root canal but I suspect you know you're seeking or doing this now because you know you want pain meds um are you guys familiar with inspect mm -mm. as a as a uh, program okay so Every state, well, I think every state, at least in Kentucky and Indiana, we have a database um, that physicians, dentists, anybody who is a, has a DEA license and can prescribe meds, we can go on inspect and it runs a record of, for you know Jane Doe, I can look her up and it will show me every single prescription she's filled within the last two years. Oh, wow. And so if I have a procedure that I know is going to warrant narcotics and whether or not I suspect they're battling addiction or maybe have battled addiction, I can look up, up I can look them up on inspect and it'll say, yeah, Jane Doe has only ever filled Claritin. Right. And I'm like, okay, sweet. Good to go. But sure enough, if I see, oh my gosh, in the last nine months, Jane Doe has been to 18 different dentists and, and nine of them have given her Norco, huge red flag, huge red flag. Um, also, it will show if they've filled prescriptions for Suboxone, you know, uh, anything like that. And obviously, then I'm, I go back to the patient. I'm like, hey, by the way, you know, I, I'm aware of your <laughs> addiction. Um, a lot of times they haven't said anything, and then, you know, the head kind of drops and, you know, they're caught, so to speak, I guess, if they're seeking. But um, I have that at my disposal in, in Kentucky. It was known as Casper, same database. Um, and it's huge. It's huge for fighting that, that crisis in, in terms of seekers. So from a, I don't know if it's like HIPAA or something, if, if I were to call you and say, or call you the office and be like, 
hey, I want to give you a heads up that I suspect my boyfriend is using and I want you to be aware of that. Are you able to take that information or do anything with it? Or would you like then flag it to check and inspect or? I, I wouldn't see any reason why not. I mean, at the end of the day, we are the ones, you know, who are the care of our patients is in our hands. And so if, if there's viable information that, you know, we need to know, we can do that. Same as just when you fill out a med history. So yeah, I think if, if, you know, like you just said, if, Hey, heads up, my boyfriend's coming, he does need a tooth extraction, but you know, I, I fear he might be seeking or using and, you know, I, he hasn't told me, yeah, I can take that knowledge and, and go to, you know, inspect. Now you get into a little bit of HIPAA or even like a right of information release. If I find out that, yeah, he has been, and he hasn't cleared you on his paperwork, I can't go to you and say, oh yeah, he's taken this, 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 and this. Yeah. But I can say thanks for the heads up. And I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Blink twice if yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's an awesome idea. And, and definitely I'd encourage people to do that. Do you ever bring up to your patients that you, who might need a narcotic? Do you ever say like, Hey, I might be prescribing you a narcotic. You know, I am sensitive to like addictions and things like that. Is there anything that we need to know? Like, do you ever put that on front street or you're always just kind of on, you know, you know I, I usually have a pretty good sense of it. You know, um, it's usually a patient, unlike you, it's usually a patient that I've maybe known for a while and maybe done other work, right? <laughs> uh, but that's where inspect comes in. And if they're totally clean, in all likelihood, it's not going to be an issue. But yeah, I will say, especially if I'm prescribing two, three days of, of something, I'll say, you know, obviously, listen, this is a narcotic, right? Uh, um, you obviously know the stigmas with addiction with these. And I say, if you need these, they're there for you. I want you off them as soon as you can. Okay. And a lot of people say, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I'm only going to take these for a day or two or, oh yeah, I'm, I'm fully aware that this is an addictive product, but yeah, I will. I'll, I'll say, I'll say, you know, I'll say things along those lines. Obviously this is an addictive product, you know, yeah. <laughs> be smart. What about, um, and this would be my last question. So what about children? That is a big fear for me that my kids are going to break a bone, do whatever, and I'll be at work or I'll be gone. Like my kids would not show up on inspect. So do you look at, at not my kids inspect, but like, do you also look at the caregivers inspect? Um, you know, that's a great question. It's, it's a really good question. Um, so at our office, we have a pediatric dentist that works with us. Um, not that I don't love kids, but I don't love doing dentistry on kids. It's tough. It's really, really tough. So I, anybody under the age of 12 that needs a mouthful of cavities, a tooth pulled, you know, a baby root canal, I'm referring them to the pediatric dentist. I know that she is not giving narcotics to children. They don't need it. Kids are like rubber bouncing balls. They're, they're going to bounce back in a day. Um, Tylenol, ibuprofen, no harm, no foul. I would say, you know, I, I only see patients around age 14 and up for really heavy duty dental work for hygiene exams and all that stuff. Yeah. Kids all the time. Right. But if I see a kid who's over the age of 14, 15, 16, um, who has a procedure, maybe it's a wisdom tooth extraction or all four, you know, fully impacted. Um, absolutely. They need pain meds, right? They need pain meds. Um, I am giving them to the parent uh, every time, every time. And um, again, it's, it's, I guess more of a feel thing. If I'm being honest, no, I don't always look at the inspects for the parents. Um, definitely something that, you know, it would, would be smart to do because parents could be pocketing these, I guess, just as much as the patient. Um, yeah. I still am having the same conversation that, Hey, when Johnny is a day or two out, if he's not in pain, these go in the toilet and the parents, you know, say, absolutely. I keep these in my possession. Um, but no, it's a really actually good. Uh, thought. Yeah. That, uh, went over my head at first, Elise. I thought you were like asking about like your concern was kids using the drugs. <laughs> I realized that I was like, Oh no, she's talking about parents. <laughs> 
using the kids as like a pawn to get dry yeah yes that's what I that's that is my biggest fear and it's probably will be one of my biggest fears forever yeah that's a a, sneaky it's a really good that's a really good you know aspect from someone who's in the thick of it you know I I wouldn't have necessarily even thought of that either I think it it gives us a good say what is it practical to do that though like in in real life to kind of check that database for the parents to see if there's any type of you know sure. drug seeking with using the children or not is that where it would get difficult is if the parents aren't patients of mine yeah you know i need a little bit of information i need name date of birth you know all that stuff and uh if they're not a patient of mine they don't have to give that to me mm-hmm. um so that's where it would get a little hairy but um, yeah I think it is practical I think it totally is practical you know especially if you're in you know a lower socioeconomic status where you know they're a bit more prevalent um yeah for sure it's very interesting yeah we should make that change we I should, should make that change <laughs> this is why I'm here we should do this, that that would this be is great. why I'm here that's <laughs> <laughs> funny cool I have one um question so we focused a lot like on our our loved ones or our spouses but what about just in the dental field in general like I was reading that there may be a higher prevalence of addiction among dentists than the normal population is is that something that is true or that you're aware of I you know I I know what I know about dentists and I, I I don't know what it looks like in the other fields, but I, I would say I believe that. Uh, I, I know of dentists who have had their license stripped for self-prescribing. Um, one thing that I haven't talked about that you know I, uh, I figured we get into that I'll, I'll bring up now is you know prior to this year, it was so 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 easy to write anything, anything, Percocets. I mean, uh, Norco, Oxy, anything, anything. You just, prescription pad, write it out, scribble it down, and there's your ticket. Um, And I know a lot of dentists also kept narcotics in office, right? So in the back, in the safe, whatever it may be, they would just have a box of Percocets or a box of Norco so that they wouldn't have to necessarily prescribe to the patient because then the patient has to go out and spend money to get those, you know, as a courtesy or as as a maybe even built into their fee they can just go in the back and say, Hey, here's, here's your whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Prior to this year, you were able to do that this year, uh, Indiana. And again, I don't know if this is the same for other States. I think it is. uh, I now have to prescribe everything via e-script. It is this whole centralized database where I have to log in and go through all these you know, questions and blah, 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 in order to now prescribe my narcotics. I can't call them in or write them in. And I'm sure you guys have like heard the old phrase, like if you want to break a bad habit, like make the bad habit really difficult to do. So like if you're trying to lose weight, like don't have unhealthy stuff in the house. Right. Um, This is sort of the e-scripts have sort of been that for us as dentists. Um, it is really difficult to go on this e-script thing and it takes like a few minutes and it's kind of annoying to now write narcotics. Whereas it would take me 10 seconds, scribble down, here you go. So, um, you know, not that I was doing this before, but if you have a dentist who after every filling, you know, after every, every little pain or discomfort that a patient has, they're just go-to is to write narcotics. It's now a pain in the ass to do that. <laughs> right? It takes time. It's hard. It's hard to now write narcotics. And of course, if a patient needs it, yeah, we're taking the time. We're, we're of course doing it, but it made a bad habit difficult to do. And I think it's going to have a major impact of how often and regular people are prescribing um, narcotics to their patients. Yeah, it probably isn't a bad thing because isn't the U.S. known for over-prescribing like compared to other countries? So... Definitely, definitely. But yes, to your original question, I think probably more so in the past than now, again, just with dental schools teaching this and CE requirements. Yeah, dentistry, I think you would see the provider, the dentist, 
huffing nitrous in the back or, you know, self-prescribing, stealing, stealing from the office. Um, I know that that was a big, big, big issue, especially in the, you know, 80s and 90s. Uh, when Jake was using nitrous, like back in high school, they were getting their nitrous tanks from a dentist. There was someone in, in town who like would sell them out of their garage. It was like this whole what? thing. Yeah, he was telling me this it? story. I was like, oh my God. He was like, it's so illegal. I mean, yeah, it's so, so illegal. <laughs> but like, so that happened, but that's where they would get their nitrous and have these nitrous parties that you could. Uh down payment down on the tank and then like pay to get it filled and then you could either you know keep the tank and bring it back and get it filled return it but well that is insane uh yeah that's so bad that's so bad and (laughs) i mean i think just the the rules and regulations were looser you know and it wasn't people just thought oh it's it's harmless it's nitrous it's harmless right and it's a gateway it's a gateway to to that kind of thing um awesome. it'd be, really? you'd be hard pressed to do that nowadays i think <laughs> yeah i'm really grateful to hear that and the about inspect and then also the new scripts for narcotics are there any other things coming up in your field related to addiction man- or pain management and um anything that you see coming down the line or even opportunities um for improvement in your space in this regard um there the answer is probably yes the answer is probably yes I mean dentistry is such an evolving field um I know that the FDA uh in March approved and I'm completely blanking on on the name of it the um Advil Advil advanced or whatever it's the combination it's the it's the the pill that contains acetaminophen or Tylenol and ibuprofen Mm. um that combination is a go-to of dentists everywhere ibuprofen, Tylenol. Um, Previous studies have shown that the combination of ibuprofen and Tylenol on the oral cavity per se, on on the mouth, can have low opioid effects, meaning it it works. It works. Um, You address the pain with the acetaminophen, you address the inflammation uh, with the ibuprofen, and it works. And people can get the similar relief from that combination as they can maybe a Norco. And so the FDA just approved that drug. Um, and again, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it. But just looked at, I just Googled it and I think it is Advil dual action. Dual action. That's it. Dual action. Thank you. So sharing uh, that with everyone. Yes. Advil dual action. So that contains 250 milligrams of ibuprofen and 500 milligrams of acetaminophen, which is essentially like taking one and a half ibuprofen and one extra strength Tylenol but it's in one pill. Um, and that is, is gonna be a go-to of mine and Dennis, hopefully all over rather than, you know, a night yeah. or two of Is that over the counter? Mm-hmm, yep. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah. That's what we ended up doing for my husband and his, um, his so after his surgery was just that, like for 48 hours around the clock. That combination? <laughs> two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it works. So. It works. It works. It's it's all about inflammation. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That's really good. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, but you know, I'm sure like like your original question. I'm sure. I'm sure there are things coming down the line. You know, that either are gonna even continue to limit what we can write, or tighten the regulations on it, or even more campaigns or just the awareness of it. You know for these old, old school dentists or for these rural populations, you know, making them aware and educating is honestly half the battle. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the majority of dentists have good in their heart. And, you know, if you can make them realize, Hey, you know, you're kind of adding to this crisis rather than maybe helping. That's all it'll take. Right. Yeah. But so I have a, um, a question for you. So like kind of going to like personal experiences, like, okay, now you're a doctor, all your buddies, like, are not, not, I'm not like, have people come up to you and been like, look, can I just get a couple pills? Like anything you know, like it's, that? <laughs> it's funny. Um, I, 
I guess I run with pretty cool people. I don't run with shady people, but, uh, you know, um, totally, totally. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll have people, uh, saying, Hey, you know, I don't feel like going to my, you know, general physician for my sinus infection. Like, can you just write me something or, uh, like, Hey, you know, I usually get this and I'm out. Can you, can you get me a refill? And it's usually harmless stuff. Um, and you know what, for antibiotics and, you know, stuff like that. Absolutely. Sinus infection, you know, you got an ear infection, you need amoxicillin. All right, fine. Here you go, dude. Like <laughs> your, kids, your kids, you know, running a low grade fever. All right, here's, here's an antibiotic, whatever. Um, I don't get too many people asking for like, Hey, can you, you know, write me some, some good stuff yeah every once in a while every once in a while I'll get some requests for stuff that's like completely outside the scope of my practice like hey can you write me like eye drops for my dog and I'm like I don't even <laughs> you do, your dog needs eye drops I don't know if is that a thing <laughs> like, or can you write me something for my my heart and I'm like no yeah. <laughs> no. don't want to get in go down that road could i yeah but am i going to no no but um you know i do get uh i will get the occasional i will get the occasional like hey i threw my back out i know you i know you give like i get flexural a lot for tmj issues which is, which is a muscle relaxer and you know that i'm not i forget what schedule class drug that is but you know muscle relaxers can be uh abused and um i i give them you know periodically for tmj issues and every once in a while i'll, I'll get a text or a call like hey man like i just threw my back out golfing like can you give me a night or two of flex rule and that gets a little that gets a little hairy and i i don't do that um especially if they're not a patient of mine because <laughs> god forbid you know dea says hey why did you prescribe this to this patient who you know who doesn't come see you like that you'd get in trouble for that. Right. Yeah, for sure. So interesting. I would never do that to any of like my doctor. Thank I don't you. have any doctor friends. Yeah. But like I like my stepmom is. My stepmom is like a doctor. I I would I still don't even say like, hey, can you give the girls like um amoxis? I never text her for that. I think that is so like crazy. My mom, my mom's a, a physician too. She's a neonatologist, so she's a baby doctor um and she was always you know so adamant even as kids like if we had strep if we had an ear infection if we had a sinus she wouldn't write us anything she wouldn't prescribe to family just because it's a gray area you know it's probably a good policy I would say. it's probably a good policy yeah probably a good policy so well, probably uh, smart yeah. So not, yeah my mom's pretty smart so yeah. <laughs> uh so i think i've adopted a lot of that from her yeah, well, that's good. good job mom right. mama whitman yeah that's right <laughs> mama dr whitman <laughs> get that right grandma again yeah grandma dr whitman yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool so what about i mean do you have any other personal experiences of like um like family members or anything that you would be open to sharing of or kids that you grew up with that maybe have addiction and that you just kind of saw firsthand you know um i I don't have a ton of firsthand experience. Um, I'm very fortunate and blessed for that. Um, I, you know, distant family members and stuff like that. Um, I, I've seen uh, struggle with you know, more alcohol, more alcohol than, you know, drugs, um, but just as serious, you know, just as serious. And um, I guess I haven't seen anything catastrophic or like family wrecking uh happen you know it's been more just life modifications or i've seen you know uh a little bit you know family members stressing and having to deal with it um so fortunate not to have any you know super first-hand experiences but um I, friends family friends even even patients that I've gotten close with. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, they tell me stories of, of, you know, pretty heavy stuff. So like I said, it's, it's, even though I haven't dealt with it firsthand, it's definitely something that's near and dear to my heart. And, 
um, that I'm very acutely aware of. Yeah. I'm really grateful for that, that you are that way in your, with the power that you have and the influence that you could have on people. Um, because, you know, not everyone is like that. So thank you for what you're doing and for your open-mindedness related to this and your care towards people struggling with this disease. I really, really appreciate, appreciate you and people like you doing the important work. Thank you for saying that. Mm It truly is, you know, my pleasure. It's, it's an honor to be a dentist. It really is. It really is. It's, it's cool to be able to help people in so many different ways, but yeah, you're right. It does. It comes with a lot of, you know, quote unquote power and ability to do stuff and a lot of ability to do harm. So I, I cherish that responsibility and try to do good with it every day. It's awesome. Thank you for spending your time with us and sharing the wisdom that you have. We appreciate it. You guys are welcome. You guys are welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was great. I mean, Shoot, I took some things away from this, huh? Oh, yay. Second <laughs> nice. those backgrounds. Yeah. <laughs> I, I became learning. a better dentist on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can get a, a continuing education credit for this. Oh, yeah. You maybe. know what? I like the way you're thinking. I should submit it. I agree. <laughs> any any yeah. other last questions or thoughts, you know, for me? I mean, um, I don't think so. Asked awesome questions. No. No, but yeah, just like everything that Alex said, a big thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm looking forward to our next few procedures. <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you again. Um, and thank you, everyone um, at home who is listening. Um, please call or geez, you can't call us. You can write us and you can email us and keep coming back. Thanks for tuning in to Boy Problems Podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this episode. Find us on social media, and if you have questions or ideas for topics, email us at hello at boyproblemspod.com.